I just had a new experience there. There's a wee ministry I didn't know I had, which is teaching the church a song that I've heard once before. <laughs> so uh, thanks for that. Actually, a sister in Scrabble sent me that song at the start of the week when I was at the barn. And I just listened to words and thought, this is amazing. So sent it on. So uh, it's great to sing hymns that are just bursting with truth, saturated with scripture. And that's what it was. So uh, if you would turn, please, we're going to do a couple of short readings. But they give us two sides of a relationship that we're going to be thinking about this morning. So if you go to Hebrews 13... I'm going to read a couple of verses in Hebrews 13, which gives us one side of that relationship. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter 5, which gives us the other side and the inputs that flow into this relationship we're going to be thinking about. So Hebrews 13, first of all, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 20, sorry, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy. Not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Then for the other side of the relationship, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory That will never fade away. (coughs) Amen. Now this morning begins the process of presenting our policies. As we seek to move forward as a church. And I'm sure that it won't feel like a normal Sunday morning talk. Because of the nature of what we're doing. But we think you'll find it very helpful. Um, As a leadership We have been working on and off at this for years. And when I say for years, I really do mean that. Probably eight years on and off. We've sought God together, had countless discussions and meetings. We've talked with others outside of the fellowship. And now, finally, we've reached the point where we're confident That we have arrived at where God would have us be. We have known his guidance throughout this long process. And basically what we have done is we have done our best 
to apply the teachings of God's word to how we should operate as a local church, as a community of God's people, as we move forwards. We're also very conscious that we have known the great blessing of unity in Castlereagh Fellowship over many years. And that has also been our experience within leadership as we have worked on our policies. And we're truly thankful for that. And our prayer is that this will continue as we seek to put Castlereagh Fellowship on a solid and a robust footing going forward. We want everyone to know within the fellowship and beyond the fellowship what it is that we believe, how we operate and what it means to belong to this community. So we're going to be taking three Sunday mornings on this. I begin this morning by looking at the whole area of governance and authority within the fellowship. Then the last Sunday in February, Patrick will take up membership and baptism. And then in the last Sunday in March, Nigel will take up the whole area of sexuality, the, the, the ethics around that, uh, in line with what the Bible teaches and what we hold as a fellowship. But after each session, you will be, assuming Nigel remembered to bring them, uh, you will be given a written policy. Uh, some of them are not particularly long. This morning's isn't particularly long. But you're going to be given that to take away with you. Um, because it won't be possible for us to cover everything in a 30-minute talk. Um, then, when we've had our three Wednesday evenings, or three Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evening, the 5th of April, we will have an evening when folks can ask their questions, they can seek clarification on anything. And as we go throughout this process, we'll also be available to meet as required with folks. We want to go through this process together and to know an even greater unity at the end of it. So as I say, the area that I am taking up this morning is that of governance. How does Castlereagh Fellowship operate? How does authority work within the fellowship? And the first thing to say is that Castlereagh Fellowship has a dual form of governance. It has elders, you're sort of very visible, but it also has trustees who work more behind the scenes. Now it's very important to understand the respective spheres of responsibility and authority for each of those two groups, elders and trustees. I mean, you don't read about trustees in the New Testament. You also don't read about too many churches having charitable status either. A body of elders form the leadership within Castlereagh Fellowship. They are responsible for the spiritual well-being of all the members of the fellowship. And in accordance with New Testament teaching, these elders act as Christ's under-shepherds who are responsible for feeding, restoring, guiding, 
and protecting the flock. Trustees are concerned with the overall administration of the fellowship. Their job is to ensure that we operate in accordance with the law of the land that is designed to protect its citizens. So the trustees' role includes ensuring that Castlereagh Fellowship is a safe place for everyone to be, to ensure that finances are handled appropriately, and to ensure that the premises are kept in good working order. Trustees are appointed by the elders and they must agree to work under their direction in all spiritual matters. But trustees have a legal responsibility to oversee the operation and administration of the fellowship at a practical level, ensuring that all is in order before the law. So for example, if there a misappropriation of funds is discovered, if Nigel rocks up in some new sexy sports car, <laughs> the trustees could not be told by the elders, oh, listen, we'll handle that, we'll sit on that. That's not how it operates. We can't tell them what they should do. They have legal responsibilities in that way. And at present, Castlereagh Fellowship has five trustees, Nigel and Patrick, Maggie and Lynn, and also Mike Holland remains as a trustee, even though he's in Kenya. And we owe a real debt of thanks, actually, to our trustees who do a largely unseen work. I mean, it just so happens they're meeting tomorrow night. But you can read more about the, the workings of the trustees in the governance document. I want to come to the matter of elders. And it's impossible to examine the role of elders without moving into the area of church membership. So we're going to be thinking about both those matters this morning. Eldership and membership are a package deal. One requires the other. And the purpose of our policy is to set out what form that relationship takes. How does Castlereagh Fellowship operate in practice? And we're going to consider four areas. The role of elders, the appointment of elders, how the eldership operates, and the requirement of a formalized membership. So the role of elders. What is the point of elders? What do they do? What do they add and bring to the life of the fellowship? And I suppose the first thing that ought to be said is that each church having its own eldership is actually God's idea. The presence of elders in a local church is woven into the New Testament. We've already read from Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter chapter 5. But listen to these verses now. This is from Acts chapter 20 and verse 8, where Paul is addressing the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he says this in Acts 20 verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God 
which he bought with his own blood. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church, well, are worthy of double honor. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Elders are examples, teachers, pastors, and overseers. And as I said previously, as Christ's under shepherds, they feed, restore, guide, and guard the flock. The biblical model of authority is as follows. This is very important to get. Christ sits as the supreme authority over his church. He is the head. But the Holy Spirit is the resident authority within the church. The word of God is the written authority for the church. And elders are the appointed authority within the church. So do you see how authority is being mediated in the church? Coming from Christ through the indwelling spirit in accordance with his word. And then through appointed elders in the local church. That stands to reason then that these men better be men who are marked by the spirit of God and the word of God. Because that's how Christ mediates his authority. Appointment of elders. The New Testament is very clear on the appointment of elders. And I do want to stress that in every occasion where elders are referred to in the New Testament, there is always a plurality of elders. And Castlereagh Fellowship certainly endorses that approach to church government, that there will be a plurality, not one individual. If you want to read about the requirements for elders, you find them in three key passages in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we read. Castlereagh Fellowship adopts the position that eldership, as presented in the New Testament, is a male-only position. Great care is to be taken in the appointment of any elder. And close attention must be paid to the character of the individual under consideration. You want to think about their motivation, their godliness, their maturity, their reputation, their competence, and their relationships. All must be in line with being a leader within God's community. And as you know, Castlereagh Fellowship currently has three elders. We still have not forgiven Mike Holland for deserting us for the mission field. But we had four, we now have three. But going forward, what will our procedure be for the appointment of any new elders? 
any prospective elder will be recommended to the fellowship by the current elders. And following this recommendation, there will be a 14-day period for members to raise directly with the current elders any questions or concerns regarding the proposed appointment. Now, the scriptural grounds upon which a concern may be raised come under three areas. I mean, you can't object to somebody because you don't like their dress sense. <laughs> Wouldn't be good news for me, I suspect. But. <laughs> but the three areas are, number one, character. As mentioned already, the Word of God does not shy away from this. What's the temper of the individual? Are they marked by rashness in that way? Is he a womanizer? Scripture says it. Can't be a womanizer. Are they greedy? Are they irresponsible in their use of alcohol? All those things are set out. Character is all important. Competence does come into it as well. Scripture says, what is the family situation of the individual? If they can't rule well in their own household, you don't place them over the household of God as the principle. Are they experienced or are they a novice? Will it actually do harm to put them in a position of authority too soon? Do they have the ability to teach? Can they, can they communicate God's word to other people? Not necessarily always behind a pulpit, but can they share and teach God's word? And the other area, of course, is doctrine. Does the candidate hold any unorthodox beliefs? Are they sound in the faith? Those are the grounds that any appointment must, must pass, you know, must meet. And any objection would have to be on those grounds. The elders will prayerfully consider any feedback received. If the elders consider any objection valid, the nomination would be withdrawn. If considered invalid, the appointment will proceed and the fellowship will then commend the new elder to the Lord. Elders will remain in office until they resign or are asked to resign at the request of their fellow elders on the grounds of mental and physical incapacity or illness. That's Patrick's exit strategy, he tells me. <laughs> Moral impropriety or doctrinal error. So that's the policy for appointment. Operation. And I don't want to bore you with the detail of this, and you can read it in the document. Suffice to say this, eldership is a serious responsibility involving a lot of time spent in prayer, discussion, planning, visiting. And I want to say this, I can tell you now that eldership in Castlereagh Fellowship is a bit more serious than perhaps many other situations. The, the time investment, it is not something to walk into lately. And can I also say we read in Hebrews 13, 17 about the people on the other side of this, not the elders, but those who receive the care of the elders. It says, you know, make their work a joy, not a burden, because church leadership is an onerous responsibility. We are committed to good communication between the elders and the members of the fellowship. We, want to, we try to be as open and as transparent as is possible. Because this helps create a culture of ownership and belonging, which is what we have. 
And we seek to lead from among God's people, not apart from them, and God forbid, not above them. Overseeing church discipline is an important aspect of the elders' work. And I will return to that because it has implications for how we organize ourselves. But we also would want to say that, that we're very aware that although all the work of Castlereagh Fellowship comes under the authority of the elders, much of it is directed and stewarded by individuals who are not elders. And that's a really healthy thing. It is the responsibility of the elders to support and to encourage such members as they carry out their responsibilities. Our policy also states that in the sad instance of where a member of the fellowship, after a period of discussion and reflection, is unwilling to submit to the decisions of the eldership, their membership of the fellowship would cease. It's not even nice to sort of have to say that, but such are the realities of church life that everybody needs to know what happens in a situation like that. Now, this final area then is to do with membership. The unavoidable implication of having a body of elders is that there is also a clearly defined membership for which those elders are responsible and for whom they will give an account to the Lord. And it's in this regard that we are introducing something new. Our current way of operating is that the elders deem someone to be a member of the fellowship if that individual views the fellowship as their spiritual home and agrees with the fellowship's beliefs. Now, maybe you didn't even know that was how it worked. And that really makes the point. We are utterly convinced that that is an insufficient arrangement to reflect the seriousness of belonging to the church as described in the New Testament. Deeming someone to be a member is not robust enough. Now, we're, we're actually extremely thankful for how relatively untested we have been on that in the lifetime of the fellowship. But we believe that this needs to change so that all parties involved, elders and members, understand the nature of the relationship that church membership brings you into and to which you are committing yourself. So what we're saying is that we need to move to a formal membership for Castlereagh Fellowship. It needs to be something that you request and it needs to be something that the fellowship confirms. And I want to take just a moment or two to show you the biblical basis for that and the practical wisdom built into that. So I'm just going to draw your attention again to the verses that we read at the beginning. Hebrews 13 verse 17. 
And I'm going to ask you to think about the implication built into this. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Think about that. Elders have got to give an account for for whom? Everyone. Somebody who walks in one Sunday evening and goes away again. Somebody who appears twice, twice in every three months. I think, who are we giving account for? First Peter 5 verse 3, we read it. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. Who has been entrusted to the elders? Who are they? How do elders know who it is that they are to give an account for? Who are the people who have been entrusted to them? The concept of a clearly defined church membership is built into the relationship between the under shepherds and the flock. I referred to 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you, and who admonish you. Who's the you? Who's the you? It must be a clearly defined membership of the church. So church membership is essential for elders To be able to discharge their responsibility. But secondly. And this is massively important. How can church discipline work. Without a clearly defined church membership. These verses are from Matthew chapter 18. Verses 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Obviously those outside of the church. I could take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where we actually see it in action. A member of the church is guilty of gross immorality. They are unrepentant. And so Paul says, right, church, expel them. Put them out of your number. How do you do that if you don't have a border? If people don't know what it is to be in the church, member of the church, and on the outside of it. It just doesn't work without that. Now I should say there are many other positive reasons for having a clearly defined church membership. And Patrick will be taking up on that next time. But those two reasons alone that I've just outlined 
elders' accountability to the Lord for the flock entrusted to them and the operation of church discipline. Those two reasons are sufficient by themselves for us to adopt the practice of having a formal church membership. Let me finish with this. Come our AGM in June this year, we're not implementing these policies just for the sake of it. It is our heartfelt conviction that eldership is actually the greatest responsibility in this world. And it is our heartfelt conviction that church membership is actually the greatest privilege in this world. And we want to reflect that in how we organize ourselves as Castlereagh Fellowship, as God's people here in this church. So what I would say to you is, on the way out, please take the policy document away with you. Read it carefully. Read it prayerfully. Because come June, those are the policies that we will be implementing and adopting as a fellowship. So we want everyone to think it through as to what it means to belong to Castlereagh Fellowship. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we have just delighted to be here this morning to gather to, as, as has been throughout our meeting, this, to gather as a joyful people who just rejoice in light of the salvation that we have been brought into. We've reflected, Lord, on the cost involved, that whilst it was free for us, you were the one who paid for it. And this causes yet greater rejoicing in you as our God. You are, Lord, the, the true shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. But we have tried to reflect this morning as well, Lord, on how you organize the affairs of your people. How you appoint and equip under shepherds. How we act together in unity as the flock. And we pray, Lord, as we uh, work through these policies, as we seek to put Castlereagh Fellowship right in line with your word and on a sure and robust footing uh, in this world, Lord, that you will help us that you will take us through this process in unity and in appreciation of the privilege that is ours. What it is to be God's community, to be God's people, to be the flock of his pasture. So we thank you, Lord, for the blessings that have been ours this morning. Bless us throughout this day. And as we gather to enjoy fellowship together tonight, as we hear from different folks, Lord, thrill us with what you are doing in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.